Amen. Thank you so much. So um, today I want to minister on the inconvenient call about of God. Interesting what Wes said about faith. We need to activate our faith. We need to walk in faith. You know, even with our finances, we need to sow to reap the word of God says. And um, God will bless us. But I'm going to speak about love today, the love of God and uh, the love of Jesus for every single one of us. And for us to understand that we need to activate love too. We can have theory and we'll look at all of that on God's love for us. But we need to begin to walk in that out. And um, last week we're going to get this um, little um, prophecy up, an amazing one that Sandy Kruger um, gave us last week um, from Denver, Colorado Church. If you weren't here, Terry's, Terry preached morning or night out of Acts 15, and uh, you will be truly blessed by, by listening to those preachers. But this is what Sandy said. She was flying over on a float plane. We love people to be able to fly on a float plane. There's nothing like seeing this beautiful place uh, than from the air. And um, and while she was in the air, this is what God said to her. He said, I heard God say that you are a treasure, precious and valuable people, talking of Oceanside. Not the ter- treasure that you need a map to, fi- map to find or dig for. Not a hidden treasure, but a treasure that has, is seen and is visible. Like New York Central Park as a tre- is known as a treasure to the city and Neck, Neck Point as a treasure to Nanaimo, uh, you are a treasure to, that is visible to the city. And that's what God wants us to be. You know, we have this incro- incredibly great treasure in, in stuff in, inside of us. We have the treasure in jars of clay. But that treasure wants to get out. That treasure wants to spill out to others. And so while we've been talking about the church Jesus is building, I want to speak in this part of it, the inconvenient call of God. And in Luke 5, 1 to 11, we read an account of the first disciples. If you're making notes, go and check these out. They're amazing passages of Scripture. We know the story well. When I speak it, you'll remember it. Jesus is on the beach um, and near the Sea of Galilee, and crowds are starting to flock around him. He's overwhelmed by the pressure of the crowd, more than likely already with his ankles in the water as people were coming towards him. He sees two boats. And he asks uh, the fisherman if he can use one of those. And he gets in the boat and he preaches um, an amazing message. The yet-to-be disciples, the fishermen are on the beach listening while they're fixing their nets. And Jesus is speaking And then when he comes out of the boat, he comes back and he speaks to the fisherman and he says, listen, listen, I I know you fished all night, I know you caught nothing, but go into deep water and fish again. And Peter says, man, we're tired, we've done this, we're sick of fishing, caught nothing, but if you say so, we do. And they catch the most incredible catch, the catch of their life. Never seen so many fish. The uh, boats were sinking. They were calling other guys, calling their partners in their fishing business. And it was amazing, amazing success. Can you imagine with all those fish and then hauling those nets in and just seeing every net, every fish with a dollar sign on it? 
That's what it was. It was their livelihood, their money. And this would have set them up for life. And in that moment, not before they had fished, not before they hated fishing because they caught no fish, but in that moment, he calls his first disciples. And I often wonder about that. It's very easy to hear the call of God when things are going badly. It's very easy to do that. But I wonder if I'd been able to let go of those fish, of those finances and what it represented, if I'd been able to forsake all like that. And I wonder too, what would have happened if they said no? Wouldn't have affected the gospel. Wouldn't have affected uh, what Jesus came to do. He was going to do that regardless, but they would have missed the greatest adventure of their life. They would have missed walking next to God, even though they didn't know it daily. Can you imagine? He calls them, and they leave. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about Terry's preach on Luke 15, and I could never preach it as well as he did. It was amazing. But it talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And the interesting thing in that, when I was thinking about it again, because we often focus on the prodigal son, and we know the father didn't go out and fetch the son. We know the father waited there for his son to come back. And we can build a theology around that. We can build a theology that God will draw the lost prodigals home if we pray and all of that. And he does. But the other two, Jesus went out and found them. He forsook the 99 for the 100. As the widow searched for the lost coin within the house. And so it's not one or the other. It's not either or, it's both. And in that parable, we see one third stay and two thirds go into the place. So that would just um, fit in with my, my sermon today because another way I could have um, um, uh, titled the sermon was, would have been the interruptions of God. How many of you like being interrupted? I see your hand, <laughs> not one of you. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that, and, you know, when I'm prepping, uh, like, you know that men can't multitask, you know that. It's impossible. I see Deborah with grandkid on her arm, the phone there, and still cooking food and not burning it. And so when I'm in that zone of preaching and, and learning, Somebody can just say hi, and it takes me right off course. How ridiculous is it? Ladies, you'll just say hi and carry on going. <laughs> or include them in the conversation. But I was thinking of more about that with my grandchildren. You know, I love to work in my garden, and um, believe it or not, I love mowing lawns and cleaning the yard and keeping it neat. And I, I, I try and do it as fast as I can because of time. And I'm always praying that one of my grandsons don't rock up while I'm doing it. 
Have you ever tried to do a project or mow a lawn with a three-year-old? <laughs> it takes hours more, or almost impossible. But the thing about it, of that, when we miss those, when you look back on your life, those are some of the greatest memories you will even have as a kid. When somebody stopped something and gave you attention. And so God, some interruptions are bad, but a lot of interruptions we'll see are God-ordained. And we see that closely in the, doc, in, the doctor, uh, in the Gospels. In John chapter 2, his very first interruption, Jesus, through his ministry. ministry. Sorry, I've had a few antihistamine today, so my, is, <laughs> my tongue is sticking to the top of the lips, my lips. I don't normally have that many, but uh, I don't want to sneeze all over you today. So please bear with me. I'm being interrupted by myself. How bad is that? <laughs> but in John 2, Jesus is at a wedding, at a party. He's enjoying his life. He's enjoying his friends and all of that. And his mother comes, Jesus, Jesus. And he says, hey, mom, just hang on here. I'm just hanging with my friends. And no, Jesus, they run out of wine. Can you help them? And he says, mom, you know, my time has not come yet. Yet she interrupts him, I'm sure, many times like a mom can. I don't want to say they nag, but it's close to that. But uh, he says, okay. And Mary says, do whatever I ask you to do. And that is such an amazing prophetic picture as Jesus changes water into wine, the new wine, the Holy Spirit. And we see this again in, sorry, I'm just getting here. In Mark chapter 5. So amazing stories in Mark chapter 5. And the one that I was looking at yesterday was Mark 5, 26 to 36. The story of Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. It says that when Jesus began crossing over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was at the lake. Jesus would try and cross the lake to go and get some peace and quiet. Tired of ministry. But he gets there, and the word about him is already spread, and there's, a, there's a, a, a large crowd around him. And then it says this, One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. This was a desperate father with a desperate need. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed. So Jesus went with them. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Jesus is on his first mission because of his first interruption of that day. This is a serious situation. This kid is nearly dead. Jesus says, I'll come. And off he goes. But on the way... He gets interrupted again. And I often think what I would have done. But let's see 
what Jesus did in this situation. Jesus went with him, a large crowd followed him and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. Because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone from him. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, walking in the overflow, was so full of the Spirit, knew the Spirit so well that he even knew when somebody drew some of that power out of him. That same Spirit is in us, dwells in us. And are we as close to the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit working not in, only in us, but through us? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit? Jesus said he did nothing except that which his Father told him to do. So he turned around and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, people crying against you, the disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? This is the amazing thing. You didn't say, hey, who touched me? And move on. I'm on to Jairus. This is Sarah's business. He stops. And even then he could have said, yeah, many people touched me. But he knew that this was a God moment. He knew that this was important to God and more important to this amazing woman. And so he stops again in the midst of his interruption. It's like walking down the street on the way to an appointment and I'm really focused when I get here, often too focused, especially on a Sunday morning. But my wife, the exact opposite, not that she's unfocused, (laughs) but when she gets out the car, from there to the door, even at the point of being late, which drives me crazy, she will stop and speak to almost everyone that she passes. And I know not all interruptions are good. Not all interruptions are from the Holy Spirit. But how many times do we know in our knower, do we know in our heart that God is prompting us or drawing to that situation? How many times do we walk past that? And we cannot do anything about our past, but our future God has called us to be a treasure, a treasure for the city, not to be hidden in a gymnasium, but to walk it out in our lives in a daily way, in word and in deed, by being doing good deeds, by trusting God when we're walking past somebody, or we're in a line at a shopping and waiting to pay for our shopping or anywhere we are, when we feel the Holy Spirit, something being drawn out of us, and that drawing could be simply just compassion for that person. And we take that moment. That moment can change a person's life forever. You see, when people come to church, not everyone is looking for a great preach or great worship. They're looking to be loved and cared for. 
as we grow, that's why we create this community afterwards, to pray for each other, to love each other. You know, Jesus said in John 13, by this, and I've underlined it in my Bible, shall all men know that you are my disciples. And it's a this. It doesn't say by one of these things, but this is one of the things. This is the, the, the this, that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. North America is full of amazing churches and we get the privilege to come to a church like Oceanside and me too. I'm not the head of this church. Jesus Christ is. But if teaching, preaching, worship, smoke machines, lights could save the world, it should have been saved 500 times or more, North America. Because we do that well, and we want, to, we want to do it well. We want to have excellence. We want to strive for that, but not at the expense or in place of reaching out and loving people. That's what it's all about. In this place today, there are people hurting. In this place today, there are people needing prayer. Imagine if we all came to this place, uh, not only out there, because this is the huddle, this is where we learn. God, show me that person. Show me that person that I can pray for. Show me that person that I can love. Show me that person that I can invite for a coffee after church. Show me a person that I can reach out to and pray for, even if it is just a hug and a welfare. Show me that person. You see, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Christianity is not about a show up here or even about my preaching. Christianity is about the priesthood of all believers coming together in love, forgiveness, and acceptance for each other and sharing that love with others. When we love people, we don't have to tell them in a sense that Jesus loves them. They can see it. And so when we tell them, they've already experienced it. They've experienced what is different with you. Why are you doing this? Why, Jesus, did you stop for me, this woman? And, and all I want to do is touch and get healed, and you healed me. And, uh, and now you, you, you're coming to look for me in the crowd. Can you imagine Jairus standing next to Jesus? And this is all real life stuff. These are not stories. Jesus, my daughter's dying. Jesus, please, can we hurry up? Can we get there a little bit quicker? My daughter is dying. How many of us would have said that? And it's very valid. It's not unvalid. But Jesus, 32, he kept looking around. So he's in this crowd. He's on the way. He stops. Now he's thinking, who touched me? Asking, who's touching me? Disciples, what the heck? Everybody's touching you. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. Absolutely afraid. Such a beautiful picture of Jesus. Such a beautiful picture of us as his brothers and sisters in Christ. That she came in fear and she left whole. 
trembling. My wife has had two transplants, uh, liver transplants, been near death many times. You wouldn't believe it if you saw her now. And that was through a parasite from water when we were in Southeast Asia doing mission work. It wasn't through anything else. This parasite, like a Pac-Man, just ate up her liver. And going through that and being in hospitals and being in emergencies and being through, through tra- transplants and all of that over many years, I was in a hospital situation with people more terrified than me because they had no hope. Can you imagine going through what we're going through without Jesus Christ? Just think for it. Take Christ out of the picture of your life for the last six months. And yet Christ is there. And I'd have opportunities. Only one person in over 10 years, I don't know how long it, from the beginning to end, ever said they didn't want prayer. Only one person that I ever spoke to, that person was that person. They'd rejected prayer or comfort through Jesus. Very easy. I don't know how you do this without Jesus in your life. I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you cope. Start crying. Start ministering to them. Because I truly don't know. I truly don't know where I would be outside of Christ. I truly don't know. But in Christ, we have protection, we have security. And Jesus never promises to put the fires out, Isaiah 43. But he does say this, that when you walk through the fires, you will not get burnt. And the bottom line is, us who are born again have already won. We can never lose. We have become eternal children and co-heirs with Christ, children of God, holy and dearly loved. And so when we pass away, as sad as it is for us, I'm asking to you, if that happens to me, please don't raise me from the dead. What the heck? I'm in heaven. I thought that was the point. But Lord, please don't take me too quickly. We mourn. But those, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more tears. No matter what we go through, our life is like a blip in the context of eternity. If I lived to 150, people would say that's a long life. But what is long in the context of eternity? That's a blink. Jesus himself said he's coming back soon. When did he say that? Over 2,000 years ago. Why? Because in the context of eternity, even 2,000 years is nothing. He's coming back for us. He's with us. He saved us. He sealed us. He set us free. And the best way for us to handle our trials and tribulations or interruptions, a, a sickness, 
could be an interruption in our lives, like it was for us for many years. The best way to deal with that is to reach out to others. Because you will see, see others that are worse off than you. You will see others more in need than you. And more than that, you will see people that are turning to sex, drugs, and rock and roll because they have nothing else to turn to. And we have this treasure. We are this in jars of clay inside of us. And God wants to be let out. God wants that anointing to flow out of us like it did Jesus Christ. Trembling with fear, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You're free from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Jairus, if only we had not stopped. The disciples, everybody. Why did you stop for that woman? Let's carry on. And Jesus, over hearing what they said, told them, don't be afraid, just believe. We know the rest of the story. Him and Peter and the parents go up into the room. And in verse 41 it says, he took her by the hand and said to Talitha Koam, which means little one, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up. And she began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. See, God gave God a double glory, triple glory. God a glory of healing the woman with the issue. He got the glory by Jesus responding and not being interrupted and allowing us to put him off track. And more than that, instead of a miracle of a healing, a child was raised from the dead. Amazing, eh? Then in Luke 10, story of the Good Samaritan. It's going through a few little stories of Jesus and how he handled things. How many of you ever had a WW? JD bracelet. Be honest. Do you know what that means? What would Jesus do? Well, this is what, yeah, we should bring them back. This is what Jesus did. So he's got this, this um, expert in the law. And he comes and asks Jesus a question. And this expert, has, expert, expert had a lot of head knowledge. He knew when he came what the answer was, but he was trying to catch Jesus out, I think. But he had a lot of head knowledge. And so Jesus picks up on that, and we'll go from there. What shall I do to gain eternal life? A great question, but with the wrong heart. And Jesus responds by asking him another question. What is, you're more likely said, you know, you're an expert in the law. What does the law say? 
And this is what he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replies, you have answered correctly. Do this and live. He had it in his head. Like faith, love without action is useless. There's no point of it. And so he had it in his head. And as he was put in this trap by Jesus and asked this question, as he's saying it, he says, oh, geez. And he says this, and wanting to justify himself. Jesus never even asked him if he was doing that. But he knew that he knew that he knew as an expert of the law that he was not keeping that command. So he tries to change the subject. How good are we at that? (laughs) And he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and live. But wanting to justify himself, he responds by asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's a Jew. More than likely thinking that Jesus would say the Jewish nation. But in doing that, Jesus responds by showing him that true love is not a concept or a thought, but it's an action. And he tells the story of a priest who walked by a man lying on the road, stripped, beaten, left to die. This priest sees him, more than likely on his way to church, to the synagogue, and he says, ah, no time for this. Maybe he's afraid he would get killed. I don't know. He's here, gets on the other side and walks around him, praising God, no doubt. The Levi then does the same thing. Exactly the same thing, the priest and the Levite. And what I put here is the thought that they had religion but no relationship with Jesus Christ because if we truly know Jesus, we'll know his heart. And religion left this man to die. And then he came and then he calls the unclean Samaritan and shows the man what true love is. Then he calls to the Samaritan, points to the Samaritan, I should have said, and explains to this guy with all this head head knowledge what true love is. And he writes this, 1032, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. See the difference already? He then picks him up, He bandages his wounds, cleans his wounds, takes him to an inn, and pays for his stay in the inn. Now, Samaritan had some Jewish blood, but they were ones that had mixed their blood with unclean nations over the years when Israel was in exile and so on. And see, Samaritan himself to the Jews was an outcast. So we have an outcast Saving an outcast. How cool is that? And so Jesus asked this expert after this, after he's told him the story about the two guys, religious guys. They went to church, they knew the law, 
They were Levites and priests. Priests were able to go into the Holy Holies. Levites ministered outside of the Holy of Holies, but all of the, uh, of the tribe of Levite. They were doing the stuff, man. They were so good at it. They had this huge, beautiful temple that they were going to um, worship in. And Jesus asked him, so tell me, Mr. Expert, Mr. Head Knowledge, which one of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And the expert of the Lord replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus simply tells him this, go and do likewise. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He's praying, I believe, that I hope you get this. I hope you get this. I hope you turn around. Head knowledge is good. Reading the word is absolutely amazing. But reading the word without applying the word, as James says, faith without works is dead. The works part is not to gain God's approval, and that's the point. Good works cannot save us. The works part is for us to minister to others because we ourselves are already approved by God. And what James is saying, he's not trashing grace. What he's saying is what good is it? You've got two coats. What good is it if you have this? What good is it? And you don't share them. What good is it? And it's true. And so this isn't for me today because I'm looking, all these fingers are looking back at me. It's what God wants us to do. And I sense that that word of us being a treasure was a tremendous gift to this church. God didn't say through Sandy, look what you're doing wrong. God did say this, you are my treasure. You are my treasure. You are treasure to the city. You are treasure to the nations. Just stop hiding that treasure. Share some of that treasure with others. Amen? You see, God so loved the world. And he could have been sitting there, God the Father like this. I was feeling like Terry Kruger now. (laughs) God the Father like this. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Looking at the mess of his prized creation. And he could imagine if he said, you know, I love those guys. It truly sucks to be them. We're so happy here in heaven. No. He put that in action. He didn't give a planet for us. He didn't make another universe for us. He sent his prized possession. His only begotten son. See, God put that love in action. And through Jesus, we have eternal life now. Whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus showed it. 
It's interesting when Jesus had all the children around him. The disciples were shooing them away. Shooing them away. And Jesus, the word says there, go and look it up. Jesus rebuked them. He did not rebuke the children. (laughs) He said, bring them. This is what the kingdom's like. These are my prized possession. Bring them to me. Bring them to me. Bring them to me. Barnett did a research. He's a Christian statistician. And I haven't read it. It was years ago this one came out. How people come to church. I think the lowest number came because of the preaching. I can identify with that. 3%. Goes through, through advertising. Goes through, through buildings. Goes through, through signs. Goes through all of that. And all of that didn't add up to more than 20%, I think. And he said 70 to 80% of people come because, they, because they've been either brought by somebody they know who cares for them or by seeing a transformation in somebody's life. 80%. And when we substitute our walk and the church with God to stuff, we can be successful because of the grace of God. Even the pigs had food. Even the sun. Even the servants were saved uh, better than the sun. But God does not want us to live on crumbs. God wants us to live in abundance. And I believe he's calling a people around the world. Yes, use the tools they have. Use the things that God gives them. God created the internet, as bad as some of us think it is. I believe to be used for his glory. I believe more people putting stuff out there. More people showing the love of Christ. More people sharing stuff. I had a friend in, in, in Texas, I've told you before, but this changed my life. And that's why we're working more and more on our IT side here. Not so that we can have the biggest, better, but so that we can help others. And a few um, Iranian refugees got saved in an outreach in the downtown. I think it was in Houston. And so they started gathering with these guys. How did they get to a place where they were prepared to be saved? They were feeding them. They were helping them. Refugees. They were clothing them. And they came to Jesus Christ. And they would meet in the home. This church was in a home. Not a big church. And one of the guys was an engineer or some very bright people that just had to get out of this bad nation. And he was so happy to be saved and all of that. He asked my friend if they, we could, if they could share the gospel with his family in Iran via the internet. Now, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how. But what they started doing is having a monthly meeting with the people in Iran sitting around a computer in fear of their lives, sitting there, and he would preach and his friend would interpret. And the gospel was going into another nation. Doesn't mean we don't go, 
But we need to think, what do we have in our hand? If you've been here before, you would have heard about a stick, a stone, and a worship team. How many of you heard that story? Jeez, three. That's brilliant. We must have a great turnover in this church. (laughs) I'm not going to say it's memory problems. But when God called Moses, he was a fugitive in fear of his life for murder. He ran away. He's hiding away. This bush starts speaking to him, the burning bush, we know that. And God calls him to deliver his nation. And he says, but God, I stammer. I've got all these excuses. I'm sure it went on way longer than a few verses that we see. I can't do it. I'm this and that. I'm going to get killed there. I stammer. All of these kind of things. What do I have? And he said, what do you have in your hand? And he said, I've got a stick. He says, with that stick, if you trust me, I'll deliver a nation. David goes to visit his brothers. Philistines are about to wipe them out because of one man. Nobody, not even the king and the bravest of soldiers, would go against that man. And in those days, battles were often won like that so they could save their troops. They'd bid one guy against another and the winner took all. And David goes there and he says, what the heck? Nobody to stand against this man who's standing against the armies of Israel, the armies of God? He says, I'll do it. Saul hears about it. His brothers tell him to go home and shut up. And he goes to Saul, and Saul says, well, nobody else is going to do it. I don't want to get killed, so let's go for it. I've got my chariot. As soon as you're slain, man, I'm out of town. And he says, but here's my armor. And he puts David's, Saul's armor, Saul puts his armor on David. And David is overwhelmed. This big hat falling off his face here, the sword he could maybe not carry, this chain mail or whatever dragging it around. And he says, I can't do this because it's not mine. We don't compare ourselves with others. Be ourselves. And David goes and he picks up a few stones and it took one stone to slay that giant and defeat the armies. Jehoshaphat, another king, what a godly man he was at this stage of his life. The armies are are coming against him. They come in. He's overwhelmed. They They don't have enough people, troops or anything like that. And he gets this report, and do you know what the first thing he does? He prepares a fast, he prays, and he inquires of God. Now, if I was that general, oh, it's after 11 already. Wow, sorry, I shouldn't have told you that, but anyway, I'll finish on this. He, he as a general, and I often think about this as a church, Guys, we need to advance. We need to do this. Well, we don't have the money. Well, we don't have that. And we don't have that. The problem is, it doesn't matter what we have. It's what God has said. What has God said? 
And I would have been joy. I would have said, well, how many soldiers and chariots do we have? He didn't even ask that. I would have said, they said, well, not enough. They're going to slaughter us. And it's, oh, gee, let's pray. It would have been a, instead of being our first response, prayer, it is often our last response when we find out we can't do it ourselves. And God wants to change that. But anyway, God gives us an amazing strategy. There's another 5,000 chariots I've had hidden behind this hill. Get them. There's all these super duper uh, warriors that are, I've been kept there. They're coming to you. And no, what does God say? Put the worship team in front of the army. And simply sing, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his love endures forever. I don't know whether I would have followed a guy like that. Unless you, yeah, especially from if he was in the worship team. I don't know. I say, are you kidding me? They respond. They're marching off with this worship team, going like this more than likely. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love. Uh, okay, let's sing it. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And while they're doing that, while they're doing that, there's a mountain in front of them, and they get to and these two armies that had come in unity to destroy Israel, something happened. God messed them up and they killed each other. They killed each other. Get to the top. The battle's won. With the worship team. Give me a break. And God wants to use us. And he's not looking for ability. He's not looking for our finances, although we should sow and all of those things. He's looking for Availability. And if we're going to touch the city, it's going to be because we are going out and we're prepared to be inconvenienced. We're prepared to show love for the unloved. These problems that we have in our city are not going away by more money, money by more regulation, by more land. They're only going to change by the power of the Spirit coming in upon their lives and transforming them from the inside out. So that they were once dead and now they're alive. And that's God wants. He has compassion for our neighbors, our friends. And if we could bow our heads, I'd appreciate that for a moment. I want to finish here. This nation needs a church. In every town, city and village that loves the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul. And if you don't feel loved by God today, God is not angry and you can't earn his love. So stop those thoughts right now. God demonstrated his love in Romans 5 that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then God said that God's love is poured into our hearts by his spirit. And if you're making a list of stuff that you need to do this week to reach out, you're already lost. That's a playground of the enemy, the flesh. But if we fall in love with God, if we fall in love and see how valued we are to him, like that $50 note crumpled up 
is as valuable as a brand new one. If we see that, then it will begin to flow through us. We'll just, if we haven't got compassion, we can't make it up. But we receive it by faith. And Holy Spirit, I pray even now for your anointing to come. We don't need worse music to do that. Now pray, Lord, for a fresh revelation of your love. I pray that any demonic thought of trying to earn your love, and some of us have tried that our whole lives, will be broken in the name of Jesus. We devalue your love when we think or the enemy tells us we can earn it. Your love is priceless. Your love is your son that you gave, having no guarantee that we would respond. And Lord, I pray for each one of us not to walk in condemnation. I pray that we leave this place, Lord, with the heart that's been touched by the Father heart of God, like mine has, Lord. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, where I've missed opportunities, but I know you'll give me so many more. And I pray that, Lord God, you will have discernment so we don't get burnt out to know which your opportunities are. That sense of your anointing. We can't do everything, but we can do something. We thank you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, church. Thank you so much for coming. Please stay and visit with your friends, pray with your friends. And um, go and be God's hands and feet, amen? Thank you.